Johnny saw mighty number. Well, up in the middle of the air, You know of Elvis Presley as the artist proclaimed the king of rock and roll. But what you're about to see is a side of this legendary singer which has gone virtually unexplored. Join me as we discover a generous spiritual man, as revealed by those who knew him well and knew well his love of gospel music. This is He Touched Me, the gospel music of Elvis Presley. Hello, I'm Sander Van Oker. It might surprise you to know that one of Elvis's favorite pastimes was to gather everyone around a piano to sing. His favorites were never his hits and rarely the pop songs of others. Instead, he wanted to sing gospel songs that spoke passionately about man's relationship with God. With the help of people who knew Elvis well, we're about to embark on a pilgrimage to retrace his gospel roots to listen to the songs he loved and the songs that he shared with the world. These were the songs that carried him through hard times. And in a very real way, these were the songs that carried him home. Amazing grace. In all likelihood, gospel was the first music that Elvis heard. The surviving child of twins born to Vernon and Gladys Presley, Elvis entered the world in humble circumstances, though he never lacked for love. From his father, he learned the value of hard work. From his mother, to whom he was intensely devoted, he gained a foundation of faith and a love for gospel music. relationship with his mom was very special. He, he was extremely close to her. He was not as close to Vernon, his father, as by any, by any means as he was his mother. But his mother, you know, she held his hand and took him to church and took him to school, walked him to school when he was a child. 
Those things he never forgot. And she was always there for him when he needed her. And it's just something he never forgot. And you know, he just, he never got over her death. Not only were they close as a family, they lived in close quarters. Elvis spent his first years in this two-room house on the poor side of Tupelo. The house is 30 by 15, I believe. Just a bedroom and a kitchen. Elvis and his parents, late in the afternoon, sitting on the porch, they would sing. And other members of the family would come over and sing. And I'm going to be perfectly honest and candid with you. We would see him around town, see him at gospel singing. But you remember back in those days, now you are, or now are not talking about the Elvis Presley that you see now with the rhinestone capes, that was Gladys and Vernon's kid. When Vernon Presley moved his family to Memphis in the fall of 1948, little did he realize that he would be transplanting his son into a music capital ready to stake its claim on history. In the late 40s and early 50s, Memphis was hopping with emerging musical styles, spirituals, delta blues, rockabilly, and southern gospel. Striving alone to face temptation, so now won't you tell me where could I go but to the I think growing up down south, the races were mixed a lot as far as, as children. And I, I think that we all, uh, we had the blues and, and in the, that gospel spawned some of that. And I believe just his growing up there and being a part of so many uh, cultures and hearing it constantly in Memphis and all those other areas, I just think that that's it made him the way he is. Life here is grand with friends I love so dear. This was First Assembly of God Church where Elvis went to Sunday school. And uh, just a few blocks from here was a church called East Trig Baptist Church. Reverend Herbert Brewster was the pastor great gentleman and a great gospel songwriter. I gave the music a different approach, a new beat. I knew that it wasn't going to hurt if I said, much Jesus about the cross alone, whether I said with one beat, two beat, whether I said it high or low. And I told them, come on in here and, and, and put your stuff together. They came in here. 
And it was a glorious experience, and Elvis was in that group. Back then, we would have uh, an all-night sing once a month. The, the quartets would make the circuit. They would go to Memphis, Birmingham, uh, Nashville, Atlanta. Uh, just There were several southern towns that, that would take a concert every month. And at that time, they would pack out the auditorium. There would be 5,000 people every month to come to a concert. And I'm sure that Elvis was was one of those in attendance. He, he loved it, and uh, it was a big part of his formative years. This phenomenon that went on called it all night singing, you know, and uh, when I saw the Blackwoods and Statesmen, I just, I, I saw Hobie Lister playing the piano and, and saw these guys in these, these black suits, you know, with these black and white shoes and the mohair suits, man, they were so cool. And these guys all had black hair with these little mustaches and, I think, yeah, this is what I want to do. We, uh, according to Elvis, inspired him to sing and inspired him to sing the way he sings. That uh, he got his uh, he got his expressions and his uh, way of singing from the Statesman Quartet and the Blackwood Brothers. Those were the two dominant groups during that era when Elvis was coming up, and they had the greatest influence apparently on him from uh, Jake Hess who was one of his idols in singing. When your luck began to slide down the rugged mountainside. Bass singer, the statesman, they called him the Big Chief. He uh, patterned some of his physical movements kind of after the Big Chief. I'm just glad to have had a part in his early upbringing and his inspiration to sing. We had uh, gospel concerts at the downtown Ellis Auditorium during those years, and Elvis would always come. Those that sang gospel music were superstars to him, and he was attracted to my dad because Daddy had a unique 
voice, a unique style of dressing, and was this six foot six frame of a guy that could sing the bottom out of a note. I'm leaning And Elvis loved bass singing. There was a scene down at the Ellis Auditorium, which was two blocks from where he lived in the housing project. He was always at the sings. And then one month, he missed. And the next month, he came back. I said, son, where were you last month? Why didn't you come? He said, I didn't have enough money to buy a ticket. I said, well, you won't need any money from now on. I just come to the stage door. I'll let you in for nothing. And that's the way it remained until about the next thing I knew, he was letting me in his stage door because I didn't have the money. <laughs> well, you rock In addition to being saturated with the sounds of Southern gospel, Elvis was baptized in the soul of black gospel. The thing that amazed me about uh, Elvis was his knowledge of black gospel. I think his knowledge was even more extensive than mine, and I prided myself on knowing all of the, the stuff. And man, he'd, we'd be hanging out, and he'd be talking about singers that I didn't even know about. So. <laughs> Elvis was an avid listener of music. He loved, he had everybody's record. He had uh, Harmonizing Four, the Golden Gate Quartet. He had all those old black gospel records. He listened to those things for hours and hours, and that, that greatly influenced his, um, his gospel singing, for sure, and, and, and I'm sure his rock music, too. Part of the deal was he always had a turntable, you know, back then it was with his record collection because that was part of. I mean, they set up his music because he listened. I mean, that was part of his everyday ritual is to play his favorite records, you know. But he he knew everybody because he loved gospel music with such passion. He could think of no greater calling than to become a quartet singer, but it was a dream that would never be fully realized. The story got out that he auditioned for the Blackwood Brothers and we told him he couldn't sing, but this is entirely untrue. I don't know where the story ever got started, but there was not a vacancy in the Blackwood Brothers, and uh, he did not audition for us. In the meantime, somewhere along here, was when Elvis went by Sun Studios and recorded the song for his mother on a little acetate disc for her birthday. With the help of music producer Sam Phillips, Elvis got the break of a lifetime in 1954. In a matter of months, he was transformed from a struggling truck driver to a successful recording artist. Elvis' mania had begun, and with success came misunderstanding. To some, he was the personification of everything that was wrong about this new form of music called rock and roll. Controversy arose as preachers publicly opposed his music and stage performance. There are newspapers. <laughs> and 
and the fan magazines wrote that he was vulgar, and it really hurt him because he said, man, that's the farthest thing from my mind. I wouldn't do anything in front of my mother, or certainly I wouldn't do anything that my mother would see on TV that could be classed as vulgar. Actually, he cried when uh, he found out that the people were putting him down about that, and he thought, well, what, what else can I do? That's all I've ever known. I do it in church, you know, <laughs> just moved around in church. And Colonel Parker said, just don't worry about it. Said, they'll make you famous. Said, you cry all the way to the bank with it. When he appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show in January 1957, one of the songs he wanted to sing landed him in a new and unexpected controversy. Peace in the Valley was his mother's favorite song. And when we went to New York to the Ed Sullivan Show, they did not want Peace in the Valley. They didn't want a gospel song on that show. And he said, no, I, I had told my mother that I was going to do Peace in the Valley for her, and I'm going to do it. But because he feels so keenly, this young man feels so keenly about Hungarian relief, he urges all of us through the country to remember that immediate aid is needed. So long before his benefit show is put on, he wants to remind you to send in your checks to your various churches, Red Cross, etc. Now he's going to sing a song. Uh, he feels that this is sort of in the mood that he'd like to create. Peace in the valley. Well, I'm tired and so weary, but I mustn't go alone till the Lord comes and calls, calls me away. response to Elvis performing gospel music on the Ed Sullivan Show was immediate and enthusiastic. Hoping to capitalize on the excitement Elvis had created, the decision was made to record a four-song record which included Peace in the Valley. It was an unqualified success. During these early years in his career, Elvis was frequently accompanied in the studio, on stage, and in movies by the Jordanaires, a gospel group he had long admired. Stand. Gonna join that Christian band. I'm gonna walk on that milky white way. Oh Lord, some of these days. We were rehearsing for Jailhouse Rock, the movie, the soundtrack, and all that, you know. So to get his voice in shape, he sits down at the piano at the MGM lot there. 
all the people around, all the officials around everywhere, you know, <laughs> watching that clock, seeing how much money it was costing them. And uh, so he sits down at the piano and starts singing. Producer came over and told the Jordanaire, says when Elvis comes back in after dinner, don't go over and sing with him again. We want to get busy. If he starts off singing a spiritual, don't just don't sing. Don't do a thing. This is costing us a lot of money. We've got to get into the soundtrack of this movie we're making, and we don't want him to. <laughs> we don't want him to waste our time, our money. Well, when he came back in, the Jordanaires didn't go over the piano where he was uh, singing. He said, "What's the matter, guys?" I went over to him. I said, "Elvis, they've asked. They've told us that we're wasting too much time, and for us not to sing with you, if you sat down at the piano and started singing again." For I mean, it. He never blew his top. In the 15 years that we worked with him, he never ever blew his top, which he should have, but he didn't. He said, listen, if I want to sit here and sing a gospel and sing these songs all week long, I'll do it. I'll know when I'm ready to work. Let's go, boys. And he got the boys with him, <laughs> and they all went out the door, got in the car, and went to his house. And you could have, I'd love for you to have seen the faces of all those officials from MGM sitting around. Colonel Parker, the same way, man. He didn't know what to do either. It, it was funny when you think back about it. But allow me to say that the next morning, Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock, he came in. He did not sing a spiritual, and he sang whatever song that we that we was working on. Swing down, sweet cherry stuffing, let me ride. From then on, studio executives let Elvis do things his way, and occasionally even incorporated gospel music into the soundtrack, as was the case in the movie The Trouble with Girls. Girl Ezekiel went down in the middle of the field. He saw an angel working on the chariot wheel. Zeke wasn't so particular about the chariot wheel. Just wanted to see how the chariot wheel. Why don't you swing down, sweet cherry stopping? Then we ride. Oh, sweet cherry stopping. Then we ride. Rock me, Lord, rock me, Lord. Elvis was among the world's most famous celebrities, yet he remained enamored with gospel luminaries. As a demonstration of his undying devotion to gospel, he regularly attended the National Quartet Conventions held in Memphis. At the Ellis Auditorium here in Memphis, things like Elvis would attend. We'd have five or six quartets, and then we organized the National Quartet Convention here in Memphis in 1957. I remember those nights when he would come backstage and the electricity, when you, were, you heard he was coming, and then you would wait, and then we would enter the room, and you could just feel the excitement backstage before the people in the audience even knew he was there. When he walked in, it's like, <laughs> it's like royalty came in the room. I mean, he just, everybody stopped. And, and I was just totally in awe because I had never met anybody like him. He always showed up every year. And at, now looking back on it, it's because he wanted to be part of that. That was important to him. It wasn't like he was doing it for anything like uh, promotion. It was. I think he had to be there, or, or he had missed something, you know. He'd come on stage and sing, 
usually peace in the valley, and we would back him up. And then finally he told me, he said, uh, from now on, he said, just introduce me and I'll come out and wave to the audience, he said, Colonel Tom doesn't want me performing. <laughs> And I never did get to sing with him. He'd tap me on the shoulder and motion me off stage, and he'd sing my part. Everybody there asking me, well, how, how was it uh, singing with, with Elvis? I, I never did get to sing with him in those days, in the statesman days. If we never meet again, on August 14, 1958, tragedy struck. Gladys Presley, Elvis's mother, died in a Memphis hospital from a heart attack. Elvis asked the Blackwood brothers, his mother's favorite gospel group, to sing at the funeral. Elvis, I remember, went over to the casket kissed his mother and said, Mama, I'd have every, uh, give every dime I have and go back to digging ditches just to have you back. He was so devoted to his mother. I've never seen anybody more devoted to their mother than Elvis was. Somewhere in heaven By the side The lowest point in his life was when his his, his mother died. Uh, it was it was just he he just he just couldn't believe that she died. And you know the saddest thing now for us when we go down to Graceland, walk in that front door, and I can still see him sitting on the third step, squalling his eyes out. The side of heaven, I'll meet you on that beautiful shore. Soon after his mother's death, his army battalion was called up and shipped out to Germany. He served as any regular soldier, but his financial resources afforded him the opportunity to rent a home off base, where his friends would gather. He often spent his free time listening to his cherished gospel records. These were sounds that reminded him of home and of his mother. He completed his hitch and returned to Memphis in March 1960. At the end of the storm is a golden sky and the sweet silver song of a In October, Elvis began recording his first full-length gospel album, which would be titled his Hand in Mine. Released late that year, it stayed on Billboard's top LP chart for 20 weeks, reaching as high as number 13. You may ask me how I know My Lord is real My Lord is real You may doubt the things I say And doubt the way Feel the way I feel, but I 
can feel his hand in mine, and that's enough for me. I will never walk alone. He holds my hand. He holds my hand. He will guide each step. If I fall, I know understand. At that point in his life, after he became Elvis Presley, the big superstar, he couldn't go worship at church, and he was brought up by his mom to, to be a good Christian young man. And, and, and in, in his mind, that's what he achieved to be. Wherever he went, he would cause a stir. You know, people, you know, it would be hard to have a, a normal church service if Elvis was sitting on the front row, you know. So, I mean, he couldn't go to church. He couldn't go to the movies. He couldn't go to a mall. And so whatever Elvis needed or wanted would have to come to him. And I think that's a lot of the reason for the gospel music. And when I would watch him sing uh, with the stamps, and I was around that too, plus at the house, in his mind, that was his worship service. I don't think he understood at the time that he was having a religious experience, but he definitely was at the time that he was singing those gospel songs. He wasn't singing to hear himself sing lead. He was singing because he was, in a sense, he was sort of like worshiping, you know, with those guys. I really believe that. The major part of his ministerial input came from television and, and TV evangelists. are loved, and that's the message that Rex and Maud Amy Humbard have shared for more than half a century. Rex was Elvis's favorite preacher. Elvis would always stop when Rex used to preach on Sunday mornings. If we were in a session around when that time that program came on, we had to stop and listen to Rex Humbard singing. And, and Rex was, and his wife too, was a precious lady. Uh, I, might make, I might want to make mention of that. She was a precious lady, and, and we all love them. I've known them all my life, it seems like. And uh, Elvis wanted to hear anything that came out of Rex's mouth. He would take what he had heard on TV through a televangelist and sing a gospel song and get the same feeling that others would receive on Sunday morning at the First Baptist Church singing, uh, Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow. He brought gospel singers and gospel music and played the records and, and listened to you know, the preachers on television. This was his time of worship, and this was his time to recognize some spirituality and to bring that to him. His preaching came from the television. His worship was with those in his living room, and his fellowship was with the musicians and employees he considered his extended family. And on those around him, Elvis lavished his love. I think if Elvis had one of his strengths was the fact he had a big heart. One of his weaknesses was his heart was too big. And, and there were people uh, that took advantage of that. There, I mean, I think Elvis, Elvis, a lot of times you hear the stories about where he would like give away a car to someone, a lady that was, he'd be at the Cadillac dealership and he'd give this woman a car or something. Those are the things that he really got off on. Those are the things that really meant a lot to him. If he had a financial problem and he could work it out, he would give you whatever you needed for that. If you had an emotional problem, 
he would sit with you, he'd read a passage from the Bible and talk to you, help you try to figure out your problem. And if you had a health problem, you know, he would try to work that out. If he had to send you to the best doctors that he could find, he would do that. If you had to have some kind of surgery, he would pay for that. At the end, Elvis had pretty much given away almost everything. And that's, that's why we love him. That's, I think that's, it all boils down to, you know, uh, I think a lot of celebrities, when you find out what they're like and you're disappointed and then all of a sudden you don't like their, them or their music anymore. I think Elvis was just the opposite. I think everyone who encountered Elvis, who liked his music, once they met him, they loved it more than they ever loved it. He was really a person that you wanted to say, I hope I love this guy. And then when you met him, you, you did. Growing up in a Pentecostal church, he had seen God work powerfully, and he threw himself into his faith as passionately as his music. Who made the mountains? Who made the trees? Who made the rivers flow to the sea? Then hastens the rain when the Somebody bigger than you and I Who made the flowers to bloom in the spring Who made the song for the robins to sing Then who hung the moon in the starry sky Somebody bigger than you and I. He likes the way when the road is long. He keeps you company. And with his love to guide you, he walks beside you. And I got in a conversation with Elvis just in a, just a regular general conversation. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. And you and how you heard from home, this kind of thing. But he said, uh, uh, you know, my mama went to the, uh, there in Memphis, he said, went to a Pentecostal church down there. And uh, he said, I went to that Pentecostal church. He said, are you Pentecostal? And I said, well, I've attended a Pentecostal church quite a bit. And, uh, but I said, uh, I don't, you know, I'm just, I've been kind of Baptist, Baptist churches also. And uh, he said, well, said, uh, I'll tell you what's on my mind. He said, uh, this Holy Spirit thing, you know anything about the Holy Spirit thing? I said, well, what you talking about? I mean, he was just kind of, being, he was just being Elvis, because Elvis was so plain, he just went straight to the juggler, you know, straight to the point. And he began to talk about, he never felt worthy of this Christian or this type of religion his mother had taught him in the church. And he said, how will I get, how will I know if I get the Holy Spirit or I have the Holy Spirit of God in me? And uh, so Elvis, I don't, I don't quite know that. 
Uh, I said, God has promised us everything. And as long as we're faithful to him, he'll give us everything we're supposed to have. And when we get it, we'll know it. When we're, we have what we're supposed to have, we'll know it. I said, I think that's infinity. You're talking about infinity. He said, well, I just want my, what my mama had. My mama had something real good. So I kind of thought that was a, a, a simple, maybe a simple statement from him, but a very deep one because he, he was trying to get into this thing of he wanted everything he could from God. He really loved God. He would discuss spiritual ideas with us. And I remember that we were standing in a circle one night and this was in Vegas. And he said, I want you all to close your eyes. And he said, we're gonna, we weren't gonna pray, but he just said, I want you to close your eyes. And I was thinking in my mind, I'll never forget this. I was gonna say, Elvis, what do you think about heaven? I was gonna ask him what he thought about heaven. And I had my eyes closed and he said, Jim, we're gonna get to that in just a moment. And I opened my eyes and, and, he, and I said, to what? He said, you were gonna ask me about heaven, weren't you? And I said, yeah. He said, we'll get that in just a minute. That blew me away. I don't know how, how that happened. Elvis was very spiritual. He uh, believed that he had a certain connection with God, not so much more than anybody else did, but in his search, he was trying to get close to God. So he felt that by helping others, maybe that was his mission. I mean, if you had a family problem, if you were going through, through something, if you were in need of something, and I mean, and he, did, and he heard about it. You know, he, most of the time he'd react to it in some positive way. He frequently read the Bible and often prayed with those around him. One notable example was the evening he learned that Sylvia Shenwell, a member of his background group, The Sweet Inspirations, received news that she had been diagnosed with cancer. We got to Vegas, and one of the girls in the group, Sylvia, had had a um, health problem. She had had the tests, but left before the results. And when she got to Las Vegas, there were um, urgent, emergent, emergency calls from her doctors, get in touch with us as soon as possible. And um, so her test had come back um, with a problem. And so there was some talk that she had had cancer. So after the show, we were all down, and Elvis comes over, as he did every night, to our dressing room to say goodnight. And we're down, and he's asked, he asked why. And we explained to him what the problem was. So he, he took us, the three of us, and we went to the dressing area of our dressing room. And he said, let's pray. And as we prayed, as we, he prayed, he touched Sylvia's stomach, and he asked God to move whatever it was. Just take it away. And the next morning when Sylvia reported to Sunrise Hospital there in Las Vegas, they did the test, and it was gone. Whatever it was, whether it was a misdiagnosis or whether God had healed Sylvia through Elvis's faith, and our faith, I don't know. But we believed, and Elvis believed also, that God had worked a miracle through him. During the 60s and early 70s, when tensions between blacks and whites 
were at an all-time high, Elvis demonstrated his desire for racial reconciliation in the musicians that he chose and the treatment they received. When we first decided to um, take the gig with Elvis, we had no idea that there would be any racial flack regarding it. Our first racial encounter was when we went to um, Texas, Elvis was told by his people that, well, you can leave the black girls home. You don't have to bring them. So Elvis wasn't going to do the Astrodome unless his girls could be with him. And he demanded that we be given the star treatment. We had to be in our convertible where everybody could see us <laughs> and our little blonde could drive us. <laughs> and um, that was his statement. You don't like it? deal with it or I'm not going to be there. And I thought that was very big of him. When I joined the group uh, in 1972, uh, they took a big chance because there were no blacks in contemporary or southern gospel uh, music. And I was the first one and it made all the headlines and, and everything. It was in Billboard and all the newspapers in Tennessee. And my first uh, a time meeting Elvis was he had a, a, a folder full of clippings of uh, things that he had read about me as a matter of fact the Imperials brought me to his suite and he gave me this folder with all the clippings and he personally welcomed me into the family and for a guy who you know didn't really knew, know where he stood this was very important uh, that he acknowledged my presence and you know made me feel very much a part of what we were all doing and right away he treated me like he'd known me for years he gave me one of those tcb uh, chains and everything and i was just one of the guys and and i never forgot that and i've been around him with people other people of color and i've only seen him give love he's very was very generous to people that he didn't even know you didn't have to be of any racial persuasion for him to love you. And you know they had, you know how rumors get started when there's a big star or something, the people will start rumors, well, he doesn't like this kind of people or he doesn't like those people or that people. And I never got that from him. When Elvis got his mind set on something, it was hard to dissuade him. Such was the case when he's preparing to record his next gospel album, and he initiated a nationwide search for a singer he wanted to include on the album. I grew up singing traditional black gospel uh, music, uh, but he was a little older and he was a little more aware of some of the, the artists that had kind of just, uh, you know, fell through the cracks as far as I was concerned. He was amazed at bass singers, that they could sing that low and that they had such uh, quality. And there was one song that he played, and I, you know, I, I, I heard it. Uh, but there was one song he played, Let's Go to That Land, that was a bass singing solo, Let's Go to That Land. And, and, and this, it was done by the harmonizing for it, this black quartet. And uh, he loved that song so much, he wore it out. I mean, he played it over and over again. We'd have to listen to this bass line, the quality of this bass singer. When we went to Vegas and opened in Vegas, you know, in, in, the, in the late 60s, Elvis thought about bringing him to sing on stage with him. I don't know who he hired, but they, they looked all over the country for him. They, they thought, of course, I think the group was from 
you know, Georgia. They couldn't find them in Georgia, so they looked, of course, you know, Mississippi, Alabama. They looked in all the southern states. They finally found a guy in South Carolina somewhere, and he was either, you know, the account isn't straight with me, either working at a car wash or a, as a parking lot attendant in South Carolina. And, of course, he was much older. He hadn't sung in years. And he offered him a job and all, you know, that's how, how much he loved this guy's voice. But the guy had gotten past the point where he could sing like he used to, I guess. Although Elvis poured himself into every song he recorded, he was especially fond of his gospel recording sessions. Without the pressure of producing radio hits, he had the freedom to approach these albums as he pleased. I believe in the man in the sky. The man in the sky. I believe with his hand I'll get by. My footsteps may falter, my eyes may grow dim, but he's my Gibraltar. I'm trusting in him. The sparrow is all I may be. Is all I may be. On me he will still. Yes, I'm singing his praise Till the end of my days I believe in the man in the sky they were pitching songs to him during the session. I mean, they, they said, what do you got? You know, it's like he's coming in cold. So he, he made no preparation unless he had a particular song in mind that he had heard that he wanted to cover, which he, he didn't do till the Vegas years. But um, it was very seldom that he did any covers in those days, back in the 60s, you know. But um, he, he would come in and, and they'd start pitching songs, you know, because everybody wanted an Elvis cut, you know, so. The guy said, listen to this one, what do you think? And they'd put it on, and as a matter of fact, it was like a, a turntable with a needle, and they'd put a, an acetate on, and they'd play a demo. Uh, and he'd listen to it, and he said, yeah, and then the guys would talk through the chart. The, while that was going on, the, guy, the musicians would, would make the chord chart out, you know, the number system, and, and the singers would be kind of oohing and on, and everybody kind of was prepared before we knew whether or not it was going to be a song that, that made, it, made it or not. But then if Elvis liked it enough, then he started, you know, getting in and, and he really played off the enthusiasm of everybody else. I mean, if there was a really a groove, if we seemed to like it, if, uh, I don't know, if it's just, if he felt good about it, he'd, he'd do it. I believe in the man in the sky. We were doing the How Great Thou Art sessions, and I think it was May 26, 27, 28th of 66. We were there um, three nights in a row, 13 hours a night, and we took a break on one of those sessions, and he came over about 2.30 in the morning. He said, you know, Ray, the Lord really messed up on me when it didn't make me a bass singer. I thought, yeah, right. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> he was wanting some, uh, some more material. We were, we were into the recording of a gospel album, and he didn't, have, uh, he didn't have enough material, really. I never will forget leaning on the grand piano at RCA, and I said, Elvis, there's a song you ought to record. I said, it's you. He said, what's that? I said, how great thou art. And he said, uh, I don't know it. 
and I thought surely he would have uh, heard some of the Billy Graham crusades where it was sung there, but he didn't know the song. And I said, well, I've got some songbooks in my car. I'll get them and teach it to you. He said, well, if you think I ought to sing it, I said, I do. So the Jordanaires, we, we sat there and we, we taught him that song. And for three and a half hours, he sat at the piano working out chords and getting a feel of that song. When we did um, the How Great Thou Art album, and really this is when Jake Hess was still in our group. And as a matter of fact, it was Jake Hess and the Imperials. And this is in the, uh, you know, probably 60, uh, probably 68 or 69. I don't remember the years, but I mean, it was that, that far, far back. But uh, he was going to do a, an album called How Great Thou Art. And they, they wanted a choir. They, he wanted a choir sound. And uh, they talked about getting choirs, I understand, you know, from a church or something. But then um, they thought, well, why don't we, why don't we get the Jordanaires and get the Imperials and get a couple of female voices, you know, strong female uh, voices, and put them together and, and then double it. And, uh, and, and it would sound like a choir. And then you'd have the, the best of both worlds. You'd have all these great voices and, and you'd have a choir sound. So that's what they did. The great thing about it is that um, all of that took place right here at Studio B. And this is the piano that, that all those songs were, were played on. And uh, um, it was a great experience, a great introduction to working with Elvis and his people. Almost every time Elvis would sing How Great Thou Art, he had a special feeling. I mean, sometimes you can pretend that you have an emotion in a song. Almost every time he sang that song, you could feel the spirit of him because that was his actual praise to God. He really believed every word in that song. He knew how great God is. I believe that he got more joy out of singing that song. And I think you can tell when you see the video and when you hear it, this, this, is, this is the soul of Elvis when he sings that song. Oh, Lord, my God, when I know some wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe display. Sing it, fellas. When Christ shall come, we shall Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, Oh, my God, how great thou art! Then sings my soul, I'll save God through thee. 
1968, as a star of music, film, and television, Elvis continued to embrace gospel music, even though it sometimes made those behind the scenes uncomfortable. See, RCA didn't want him to do gospel stuff. You know, they didn't want him to do that. That, was, that wasn't what we spent that $35,000 getting your contract from, from Sam Phillips. That wasn't what they wanted. They wanted him to sing Heartbreak Hotel and Money Honey and, uh, you know, things like that. That's what they wanted him to do. They didn't want him to do a gospel album. He said, we are going to do a gospel album. You know, he kept telling us we were going to do a gospel album. And, and so we finally got to do one, and it's been a, it was a huge success. You know, we talk about an artist who does something like when a Springsteen does a folk album, how edgy and how, what, how a lot of guts this guy has to do that that probably what they thought about Elvis. Man, this guy's got a lot of guts to do this. This is Elvis Presley. What are those young girls going to think? They're going to think he's religious or something? And uh, so I, I would think that they considered that pretty gutsy to do those records. In a sense, he turned the secular world onto what was happening in gospel music. To that point, I think it was basically a, a smaller world for that music and he opened it up to the whole world. And uh, so in a sense, maybe he was the, the, the guy that sort of brought contemporary Christian music, uh, sort of started it, you know, in a sense, subconsciously. Our first uh, chance at really recording with Elvis was on the How Great Thou Art album. And, um, and that's when he really got to know us personally. He had heard of the group. He knew Jake, of course, but the other guys were new to him. And um, the, the, which, you know, how things go with Elvis, he kind of filed it back there somewhere. And when it was time to go to Vegas, he, we were his second choice. Of course, the Jordanaires got the first call to go, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't go. And then we went to Vegas with him in 69. As his singers and musicians quickly discovered, performing on the stage was only a portion of their responsibility. In reality, they found themselves singing more offstage than on. I know a lot of singers who make a living singing, and once they leave the stage, they don't sing. Well, that's when his day began. You know, we're getting ready to kind of wind down. He's just starting. And every night when we finished, no matter what the time, we went upstairs and we sung to his friends. As long as Elvis was up and around, you were almost on call. And he goes, you guys coming up to the suite tonight? You know, yeah, yeah, we'll see you up there, you know, you know, whether you told your wife you'd be home early or whatever, you know, if he wanted you to go up, he'd go up. We would be working with uh, Jimmy Dean in Las Vegas, and we'd have to wait on our, uh, to our last night with Jimmy Dean because we knew if we went over to Elvis's suite, he would have us sing all night. We'd go there and we'd start at about 12 o'clock uh, or whenever our show was over and we would go till about six or seven in the morning just singing songs. And the one song I remember, he always did, I, John, saw a mighty number. That was his thing. There were three gates in the east, three gates in the north, three gates in the south. Twelve gates to the city, four square wide, high they 
He loved it, and, and we just sung and sung and sung, just, just as our own quartet, and then he would get into it. By the time we would say, oh my goodness, we, we can get a, get a break here, then he started singing. We do two shows a night for five weeks. A lot of times we'll go upstairs and sing until daylight. Gospel songs. We grew up with it from the time I was, I can remember, like two years old. It more or less puts your mind at ease. It does mine. And there was always, a, you know, a lot of people in the suite, um, by invitation only, of course, but the inspirations would go up and the Imperials and the, the band members that wanted to come up. And it was a different mix every night, but if, he wa if you knew he wanted you up there, he wanted you up there because he wanted you to sing or he wanted to do something later on, you know, or you know, wanted you to be involved in whatever was going on up there. And so, you know, you'd show up. Here we're lined up all of these stars that, I mean, you just name who's who in Hollywood. They were there that night. Marty Allen and Red Fox and the Carpenters, and Vicky Carr, Lucille Ball, uh, Gary, Cary Grant, you just name them. And they were standing in line to go in and see Elvis. And I thought, isn't this weird? We're looking at them saying, oh, there's so-and-so. And they're there to see the guy that we're working for. They've come to see him. And I thought, this is ironic, you know. Here we are looking out at the hallway, and they don't know. They, we're just some guys up on the stage, and we're looking at all these guys. They came to see Elvis. And we're close with Elvis. He'd gather them all around, and he liked the gospel music so much that he would almost force them as his, as his guest to listen to gospel music. And if they wouldn't listen, he'd get up on the piano bench and he'd stand up there and wave his arms and make them listen <laughs> to the gospel music because it was what he liked. There was one time I remember when they were holding hands and somebody looked up and Elvis said, put your head down. I told you, put your head down. <laughs> he'd, he'd tell them, keep your head down. And uh, so they'd, they'd bow and, and we'd sing the song. And, uh, a lot of people were exposed to gospel music and to hear that kind of a message in, in a song that, that probably they never heard before. And it's because of him and his, his love for this kind of music is pretty important to him, I guess. And it wasn't so much uh, what we did, it was what happened in the room, the, at, the uh, atmosphere, how it changed from one setting to this unbelievable setting with cold chills on your arm, you know, and, and, and I, I kind of used that and, and, and my analogy of the Holy, is the Holy Spirit sort of came in there and it sort of dwelt among us and, and we really began to uh, live the words instead of singing the words. It kind of came in there and saturated us and made us all equal. I think that's, that's the thing that equals us all out because when Elvis started singing, you knew he meant what he, what he was singing. You know, he, he meant those words. He liked to, to hear uh, Ed Enoch sing a particular song, and he'd have Donnie Sumner sing a song. And I thank God. 
that time it wasn't as enjoyable for me uh, because of being tired and, and, and kind of won't take a break from it you know singing so many hours but if I had that opportunity to do it again I would sing just as long as I could stay up for I think I think right there is where I really found the real Elvis Presley he had this real fancy suite it had this real nice shower stall in it and he liked the reverb sound, so he said he wanted us to come in. We went in the shower stall and sung Sweet, Sweet Spirit for Elvis so he could hear that song with the, with the natural reverb in it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would, I would like to ask the Stamps if they would sing a song that they do by themselves. It's a beautiful song called Sweet, Sweet Spirit. And I don't sing in this. Just listen to them, please. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place, and I know that it's the spirit of Concert. He just called us out to do it in the concert. Nobody knew nothing about it. None of us knew we were going to do it at all. 
It was just sort of an impromptu thing, but I think it was, it really put us, kind of put us on the map, so to speak. I mean, it kind of put us where people knew who we were. Though he sang of his faith with conviction, Elvis was troubled by questions that seemed to have no answers. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. Stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, Stand by me. Stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship out on the sea, thou who rulest wind and water, stand by. I think that Elvis thought that he'd wake up and find that it was all over with, you know, it was just a, it was just a dream. When I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. Stand by me. When I'm growing old and feeble. Though his most ardent fans felt he could do no wrong, Elvis was well aware of his shortcomings and grew increasingly uncomfortable with the adulation lavished upon him. We were in Notre Dame playing a, a show at the arena there uh, at the college, and, and right in the middle of the show, across the very center of the arena, a bunch of girls had bought the center seats all the way across. It was a long row. And uh, in between songs, in the middle of the show, they picked their moment and they all stood up, and across the center of the arena was this, was this huge banner that said, Elvis, you're the king. And Elvis just stopped and went, no, Jesus Christ is the king. And they just went, sat down immediately, totally embarrassed, and then we, we went on to the next song. But it sent chills up my spine because I was going, he wasn't mad at, at them, but he made a point. And it was amazing that the reviewer never mentioned it or anything. But to, I will never forget it. It was a big moment for me. And I remember just looking at him, and I said, man, you are really, really blessed. And I said, you know, as great as this album is and all the success you have, I said, you know, God is the one who made all this possible. I said, God has placed you in a unique situation. And I said, you know, you are really blessed. And he turned to me and he said, you know, I know that and I know that I couldn't have done it without God. And that just, you know, a lot of people think that he was insensitive to it, but he realized that everything that came to him came from God, and he, and he cherished it that, that way. His friends noted that Elvis was often confused about why God had allowed him such success and acclaim. Yet he never questioned that his gifts were from God. Perhaps that's why the song, He Touched Me, was particularly meaningful to him. He loved the song, He Touched Me. He, uh, he loved that song. And uh, I'm trying to think of some of those up-tempo things that he did that were so special to him. As far as in the concert, we didn't do them, but we would always do them back in his, in his, in his penthouse. One time, 
he uh, had everybody, he said, I want the Imperials to sing this song, He Touched Me. He said, I want everybody to get around in a circle and hold hands. And he said, everybody get around, hold, come on. So <laughs> I always said, everybody get around, everybody got around. It's kind of very strange. They got around and held hands. And he said, okay, uh, bow your heads and listen to the words of this song. And uh, so, you know, start in and sing the song. And uh, it's, it's the, 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 the quietness in the room, you know, of all these people, whoever from every walk of life, you know, we don't know who the, some of them were strangers to us. But Elvis wanted us to sing that song. It was important for him, to, for us to sing that song. And uh, we, we did that a lot of nights. I remember one time Daddy mentioned that I think they were in Dallas. Elvis rented a stereo and listened to He Touched Me, I believe. It was Bill Gaither's song. And Elvis listened to it for like 50 times without ever stopping. I mean, he just played it over and over and over again. He was obsessed. I mean, he it was the passion of his life that he you know, had to kind of come through the back door to expose it to people. but. It worked, and he did it. Had he lived and become healthy, Elvis could very well have uh, got into, for the first time, gospel music. And uh, maybe he would have been the first contemporary Christian singer, because in a sense, you look back at those records, especially the last one, he touched me, when he, uh, he sort of exposed the whole world to Bill Gaither and to Andre Crouch, to Milan Lefebvre, all those great tunes. In a sense, he turned the secular world onto what was happening in gospel music. To that point, I think it was basically a, a smaller world for that music, and he opened it up to the whole world. I'm not here today to make him an angel. I'm not here to make him a saint. You know, I'm just telling you the truth of how it was. And he, but I really believe this so deep, this deep foundation that his mother had, these deep roots in the church, uh, gave Elvis something to shoot for, maybe. Something happened and now I know he touched me. Although we've reached the conclusion of this program, this is far from the end of gospel music's inspirational influence on Elvis's life. During his career, he would record a fourth gospel album and win a total of three Grammys, all for his gospel performances. I leave you with this quote, which is typical of this shy young boy from Tupelo. He once told a magazine reporter, I never expected to be anybody important. Maybe I'm not now, but whatever I am, whatever I will become, will be what God has chosen for me. I feel he's watching, 
every move I make. Thanks to those who contributed their reflections and insights, and thank you for joining us in remembering the gospel music of Elvis Presley. Well, you rock my soul down in the Down in the woods.